hello again, everyone. Welcome to Cotton Grower Magazine's Cotton Companion Podcast. You know, for the most part, this year's cotton crop is pretty much finished. There's still some areas hoping to fill out those last bowls, but for a good portion of the cotton belt, harvest is rapidly approaching. Hats off, of course, to those of you in South Texas who are already finished or are nearly finished. I'm Jim Stedman, editor of Cotton Grower, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague and friend, Beck Barnes. Now, uh, in its most recent report, or at, at least as we're recording this episode, USDA said that 59% of the total U.S. crop was rated fair, good, or excellent. And some of the individual state numbers show that we're likely looking at some really good crop results in the southeast, the mid-south, and the western states. So growers, Beck, are really getting ready to wrap this crop up. Yeah, yeah, man, I'm well aware. I, uh... I don't even know if I told you, Joe, I made the pilgrimage back home to uh, Leland, Mississippi last weekend, Labor Day weekend, to do some dove hunting like so many people. And, um, right. you know, straight down 61 from here in Memphis. And, if boy, if you got fields along Highway 61, I would uh, wager that you are rated in that good or excellent category because, man, it, the crop's looking good down there, uh, which is always good to see. I got I got skunked by the doves. Um, if anybody was interested in that, so I didn't didn't even kill enough to make a little appetizer dish for my wife on the grill. So it's sad, sad situation here. Uh, she was she was she's going to hold that over your head the rest of the year. I'm sure. And she very she was very disappointed that you know <laughs> trying to be a trying to be a provider here. Um, but I, I will say, yeah, caught the first little whiff of defoliant in the air when I was down there. And yeah, these guys are these guys are getting ready to to wrap things up here in the mid south. I think it ought to be a decent crop. So hopefully everybody else uh, is looking just as good. Yeah. Well, you know, it's obviously as we get close to harvest, uh, it's also time time for the universities and, and company field days uh, that kind of give us a look at how some of the top cotton varieties performed this year, as well as a look at some of the most recent research that could be ready to show up on farms very soon. Now you mentioned south. Uh, I was over in uh, at the University of Georgia's Cotton and Peanut Field Day in Tifton, Georgia, last week. Uh, crop over there looks really good as well. Uh, and I had the opportunity to visit with Camp Hand, who is Georgia Extension Cotton Specialist, about how this year's cotton crop is looking as harvest nears. The impact of Hurricane Idalia in the southeastern part of the state a few weeks ago and what growers need to be watching and planning for regarding the 2024 crop. And we're going to share that conversation with you in just a few minutes. But first, a couple of news items that interest in our continued battle with troublesome weeds. Yeah, yeah, Joe, we'll be looking forward to that conversation you have with Camp Hand, which, as I have mentioned, is a world-class uh, agriculture name, Camp Hand. You just kind of trust a guy named Camp Hand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You can't help but to. Okay, let me see. Uh, BASF is bringing the first trade-enabled, resolved, isometric, isomeric, excuse me, post-emerge herbicide to the U.S. marketplace with its introduction of Liberty Ultra Herbicide, powered by Glue-L technology. So Liberty Ultra Herbicide uh, will effectively control grasses and tough broadleaf weeds like Palmer amaranth, water hemp, giant ragweed, and kochia. Am I saying that one right, Jim? Kochia. Kochia, golly. Kosha. Oh boy, I'm just too far removed from the field these days. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> Kosha in glufosinate tolerant cotton, soybeans, canola, and corn. 
the product is the first of several Glue-L technology-based premix herbicides to come from BASF within the decade. The Glue-L technology concentrates the active herbicide isomer to enable a 25% use rate reduction compared to current glufosinate herbicides. In essence, it packs the power of 32 fluid ounces of Liberty into 24 fluid ounces of Liberty Ultra. Now, registration for Liberty Ultra is anticipated late this year with a targeted launch for 2024 and full launch in 2025. And from New Farm, the company's Credit K6 herbicide has been approved for tank mixing with Enlist 1 herbicide. A Credit K6 is a potassium salt glyphosate that offers efficacy on par with Roundup PowerMax 2 with the benefit of improved cold temperature handling. The product is registered for use in all contiguous U.S. states and is labeled on all glyphosate-tolerant crops. In addition to Enlist 1-tolerant crops, Credit K6 is also approved as a tank mix for Extendamax, Ingenia, and Tavium herbicides. So, always great to hear some new introductions into those uh, herbicide uh, categories there. I know our farmers like options when they can get them. Definitely, and and, and with some of the uh, some of the weed issues that have been popping up in, in areas this year, uh, never hurts to have a couple more bullets to put into the uh, into the herbicide gun as you move into uh, another 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 crop year. This case, but anyway, in terms of cotton acres in the U.S., uh, Georgia ranks second behind Texas, of course, uh, with just a little over a million acres planted this year. It is the state's number one row crop in farm gate value and ranks second or third in each year in total agriculture value to the, to the state of Georgia. And there's no denying that that state's annual cotton and peanut rotation plays a really important role in the success of both crops across the state. Camp Hand is the University of Georgia Extension Cotton Specialist, and following the recent Cotton Field Day in Tifton, we had the opportunity to sit down and discuss a number of subjects ranging from the status of this year's crop, to the value of that rotation with peanuts, to what growers should be thinking about when they're planting next year's crop, and an effort to quantify crop losses from a relatively pesky source. Now here's our discussion. Well, I'm joined today by Camp Hand. He's Extension Cotton Specialist for the University of Georgia, and we're actually sitting right here in his backyard uh, in Tifton. Uh, I've been down uh, coming off a great field day for both cotton and peanuts yep. here in, uh, at the at the Tifton campus. Camp, it's a great day. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's a good day. Wasn't too hot out there. I don't feel like it got pretty warm there at the end, but it overall is a good day and, um, you know, just shows the cooperation between the two groups, cotton and peanuts, you know. Uh, cotton folks will say peanuts a good rotational crop and peanut folks say cotton's a good rotational crop but really uh, in Georgia you can't have one without the other so it's good to get everybody together at this time of year and uh, talk about current issues and the, and the research dollars that are going into this and really um, that's what it's about is it's about displaying the uh, checkoff dollars that these growers are investing in us in the university and uh, you know, kind of looking at their return on that investment, and so de demonstrating that to them in this way is really important, and it's a really good thing. Yeah, that's that was definitely a takeaway from today is the the great support you're getting from the Georgia Cotton Commission and from the Georgia Peanut Federation. Yeah, uh, and all this, and and it's uh, 
it's something you don't see in every state. Yeah. But uh, and and you know, but then when you sit back and look at the importance of those two crops to this state, mm. you know, it, again, like you said, they can, they coexist perfectly. That's right. They you know they can grow separately, but it works much better when they're That's when right. they're all together. Absolutely. But anyway, but anyway, let's uh, let's take a quick look at that Georgia's cotton yep. season so yep. far. Um, how many acres? did you end up or did state end up with yeah so we we wound up right around 1.1 million acres which is just uh you know a little bit shy of that and usda had us projected at 1.2 so we're we're a little low there um i feel like we're high on peanut acres a little bit and high on corn acres some so they kind of got split between those two um soybean acres stayed about the same year over year so um we lost a little bit but overall um, still in really good shape uh, across the state. And really, uh, once the certified number came out, there were people saying, hey, that could still creep up a little bit. So um, got 1.1 million acres overall, really happy with that. Um, that's about where we want to be is that 1.1 to 1.2 million range. Yeah. Now, I know it's like pretty much every state this year, you got off to a little bit late start. Yep. Uh, and it looked like the crop was running about two to three weeks behind schedule for most of the season. Yep. Now, we've just come through like a heat wave. Yeah, right. A massive right. heat wave. Yeah. It looks to me like the crop is kind of caught up at this point. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 you're right. I would say if we were talking back in July, it, we would have been about two weeks behind. But here in the last couple of weeks, you could stand out in the field and hear the bowls popping like popcorn. Mm-hmm. You know, it was catching up in a hurry with all this hot and dry. Um, you know, for the most part, we got a good rain across most of the state last week when the hurricane came through. Um, you know, anywhere from four to ten inches. So some places got a little more than they wanted, but uh, and some places got left out of that on the on the western side. So um, you know definitely in a better spot with respect to moisture and things like that and that's going to help us kind of finish this crop out but um for sure have caught back up and it feels like we're back on track Mm -hmm. let's talk about the hurricane for just a minute because um you know i think when everybody initially started looking at the the tropical storm and nobody was exactly sure how strong or how bad this one was going to but idalia was going to end up being um Obviously, it came through parts of South Georgia, yep. some of the big cotton-producing counties in mm-hmm. there. How much damage have, have growers seen, and, and how much of it is salvageable? Yeah, so I, I went around the day after the storm came through, and we tried to get an idea of what had happened. Um, luckily, uh, we were not in the position that we were when Michael came through. Uh, when Michael came through, our crop was defoliated and ready to pick. And uh, we were not in that situation this time. I feel like I was the only person in the state of Georgia that had a defoliated cotton field, and that's where we need to be. So, um, you know, it came through the Brooks and Lowndes County type areas, which are two of our big cotton-producing counties. Um, So through there, there was cotton stalks on the ground, um, you know, a little bit of land on the ground. I would say it could have been worse, um, but, you know, still losing anything at 85-cent cotton is not good. No. Um, the bigger issue to me is going to be the harvestability of the crop just because it is laid over, and even the stuff that, um, you know, further north of those counties, Brooks and Lounder on the very south end of Georgia, touching the Florida Panhandle. Once you went north from there, the damage was not quite as severe, but we did still have wind-blown cotton, It was still tangled up a little bit, so I feel like there's going to be some harvest issues down the line. 
but again we got a ways to go before we start figuring that out we've got good weather in the forecast sun's out right now it's 90 degrees that's going to help us out and that's going to help get this crop back in shape a little bit so um we got a lot to learn about what the storm did to us mm -hmm. uh we know a little bit but we got a lot to learn yeah unless just hope something else doesn't come through yeah yes. the, uh, great <laughs> <laughs> we all have our fingers yeah. crossed on that one now in obviously georgia has has uh sort of like ground zero yeah for weed resistance right particularly with uh you know with dicamba resist or herbicide resistance glyphosate resistance every kind of resistance right and right and it's been a major pest uh, to deal with but you're talking now about there's another pest out there sort of a four-legged pest <laughs> that yeah. you're trying to get a handle on in yeah. terms of damage yeah tell us a little bit about that yeah so um this year i get calls about white-tailed deer every year um, but this year was kind of unprecedented mm -hmm. in the in the amount of uh, phone calls that I got from our county extension agents. And I think there's a few reasons for that. But at the end of the day, um, the growers that I talk to, every grower that I talk to in this state, every county agent that I talk to in this state says that that is a significant issue in cotton acres. And so um, that is something that we're trying to get a handle on. We want to know what the perceived losses are from a grower um, how many acres are affected things like that and then um, from there we've got plans for other research evaluating uh, different repellents and things like that looking at what do we do whenever the deer come in and feed is there a way we can kind of push the crop out of that um, you know and then we want to work closely with uh, the department of natural resources here in the state to try to get a handle on this issue because really it's going to take a cooperative effort between the ag community and the the outdoor sporting community like the hunting community to kind of get this under control because at the end of the day um you know some, some people want to liken this to feral hogs and that's a totally different yeah, issue completely that, different yeah, issue the hogs are an invasive species right and that that needs to be eradicated you know <laughs> but um the white-tailed deer are a native species would that needs to be managed mm -hmm. and so that's kind of something we need to get on the same page about we've had good conversations with people at dnr uh with people at the warnell college of forestry here at uh the university of georgia they they kind of do more of the wildlife side of things but um you know we're definitely gonna work very closely with uh all the groups involved farm bureaus that interested in this and so um, it's something that's going to take a long time to kind of get a grasp on and try to fix this issue. This is not going to be something that next year is gone. Oh, no. Um, so this is a long-term thing, and, uh, you know, we've got plans to kind of try to get out there and figure out how bad of an issue it is and, um, you know, evaluate it from there. Mm -hmm. Well, as we're, we're sitting here, we're probably, what, maybe three weeks away from harvest starting? Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, here in about two weeks, one of our bigger counties is going to be hitting it hard. Okay. Um, we're we're actually, as soon as I get done here, we're going to go do an agent training. But this afternoon, I'm going to probably go spray some. And so in about two weeks, um, we'll be picking really good on the station. I imagine a week or two after that, the majority of the state will be in sure. field harvest. Well, you know, when we look at harvest as sort of like the end of, of this season, but in right. reality, I think it's also the start of next season. Right. What should growers be looking for when they're out there at this point? You know, it's really it's really a neat place to be in the picker seat because you can see a lot of things from that vantage point that you can't see from the ground. Mm -hmm. And so 
what I would be doing is taking notes in your fields. Like, do you have problem areas? Do you have weaker spots? Um, what do we need to do? If it's a weaker spot, should we pull a nematode sample? Should we be looking at some different fertility management type strategies going into next year? Do I need to try a different variety? You know, is, is there something that I need to change up? What happened this year that didn't work that maybe we need to try something different next year? Right. You know, those are the type of things I'd be thinking about. Of course, um, a lot of growers are going to look at their crop, uh, and I don't know if we talked about this. It may have been somebody else, but the plant bug issue in Georgia this year was just worse than it's ever been. Sure. And uh, there are going to be some growers to get on that picker seat and see some fruit missing in the bottom of that plant and see that your money bowls aren't there. We can't say for certain that it was plant bugs because we weren't there whenever they were. But, you know, that's the point where I get awful suspicious of what it was. And so, um, you know, again, th just those kind of things to keep in mind. And it might be moving forward like, hey, that's kind of what you needed to hire a scout, you know, and get out there and really be looking at your crop regularly um, and making those decisions based on thresholds and things like that. Um, and then other things, including like grid sampling for fertility, nematode samples, and then considering um, different application techniques for those type things as well. And keeping our fingers crossed that demand increases across the country and the price, and the price goes, goes up. up. Price, that's that's right. Up. You know, we're, it's okay right now. That's it's, right. It's, it's tolerable, but not for long. No, no. Uh, oh, I can't do this next year. No. We needed to go up. No, sure. Not at all. Well, Camp, I know you've got a lot to do. You, you're heading out. You've got some more training to take care of this afternoon. I appreciate your time on this uh it's it's always good to get together yeah. uh, and and particularly it's good for me to get out and in couple of these field days and come to individual states and kind of yeah. see what's going on and i really appreciate that yeah we're glad to have you in georgia man you're welcome back anytime well i appreciate that thanks all right well that's it for this episode of the cotton companion podcast we want to give a special thanks to camp hand for visiting with jim and sharing his input for this episode and as always we want to thank you dear listener for joining us We've hope, we hope that you've enjoyed this episode, and if you like what you've heard, please be sure to spread the word. Tell your friends and neighbors about the Cotton Companion podcast. Here's where and how they can find us. You can find the Cotton Companion in three easy ways. First, go to cottongrower.com forward slash companion, or simply click the podcast tab at the top of the homepage. Second, Subscribe to our channel on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts these days. And three, sign up for our weekly e-newsletter, The Cotton Grower E-News, that's delivered to your email inbox every Tuesday morning. You can do that by going to cottongrower.com forward slash subscribe. Also, be sure to follow Cotton Grower on social media. We are at Cotton Grower Mag on Twitter. And on Facebook, you'll find us by searching for Cotton Grower Magazine. Cotton Companion Podcast is produced twice monthly by Tyler Hatch and Kim Henderson, our talented colleagues at the World Headquarters for Maestro Media Worldwide in lovely Willoughby, Ohio. I'm Jim Stedman, he's Beck Barnes, and we'll be back with you in a few weeks with the next episode of The Cotton Companion. Until then, stay safe and get those pickers ready to go. Yeah, he works and he works and he works and he works all day. God made it